Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Apple Store Soho. How are we doing tonight? There we go. It's the adequate amount of energy for the event that I was looking for. Thank you. Are you ready for uh, our guests? Are you guys ready? You sure? Ladies and gentlemen, make them feel welcome here to talk about her new book, available now in the iBook store, Unbearable Lightness, A Story of Loss and Gain. Portia de Rossi and this evening's guest moderator, Whoopi Goldberg. nice group of people out here. Y'all look good. You're not wearing too much perfume or anything. You look good. So I, I this book is amazing and I, I want to get right into it because if you haven't read it and you haven't picked it up, you will want to after this because it's honest, it's brutally honest. And I'll tell you that, that I got it and the first 10 pages totally freaked me out. Can you explain to them why it would have freaked me out? Um, the first 10 pages uh, recounts an incident that happened to me where I woke up this one day, which uh, was similar to any other day in that I panicked because I couldn't remember what I ate the night before. Every day I would wake up to this question, like, did I screw up? What did I do? And on this particular day, I remembered that I'd eaten six ounces of yogurt, which was four ounces too many, and that was considered uh, a binge. And, um, and I just went into complete tailspin and uh, ended up sobbing and thinking that um, my life was over. And I think that it was so typical and so routine that this would happen, mm -hmm. like once, once a week almost. Um, and I think it kind of sets the tone for the rest of the book. Yeah. That that's just what you live with when you suffer from a disorder like anorexia. So now, just to, we'll take it from the, from the very beginning. How long did you suffer from anorexia? Um, actually, comparatively to other women, not very long. I, I was um, under 100 pounds for probably a year and a half, mm -hmm. uh, 82 pounds being my lowest. But I had suffered from all kinds of disordered eating right. since I was about 12 years old, from about 12 to 30. Right. And at the time, there wasn't any real discussion about the fact that there was something odd about the way you were treating your body with food. Uh, I had never thought of anything that I was doing as abnormal mm -hmm. until I became very afraid of food. I mean, I right. literally would, it would consume my every thought. Right. I became very, very frightened of food, in particular, um, olive oil just oil of any kind uh, would <laughs> terrify me. Uh, and that's, that's the other thing about this book too that I've really wanted to convey. It 
seems crazy from this perspective, but when you're actually in that anorexic mind, mm -hmm. when you're living it, it is so logical. It is, it's just a progression from a regular diet that right. we've all been on into this disorder that is life-threatening and truly horrible. Right. But it's a very, it feels like you're doing the right thing at the time. Right. It feels like you're working out, you know, 10 minutes longer and, right. and just using 10 calories less of right. whatever food. And it feels like the right thing to do for a long time. So if you, if you can, because I don't know if people really sort of understand what anorexia is and why so many women are afflicted with it. What did you see when you looked in the mirror? What did, what did your mind tell you, tell you you were seeing? Well, I know that there's a very kind of common image where the sick girl looks in the mirror and sees a very heavy person reflected back at her. Mm -hmm. But I never really saw that. Right. I just saw the inch of fat on my stomach, the inch of fat on my thighs. Right. And I saw very skinny arms. So I don't know whether I was dysmorphic. Right. Um, I thought that I pretty much saw what I looked like. I right. had very, very thin, emaciated looking arms. Right. My rib cage stuck out. My, my, the bones in my back were really protruding and right. very ugly. But I still had fat thighs. <laughs> That's the thing. So so it's one. So it becomes the thing, the one thing that one doesn't thing. look like everything else. Right, and we've probably all got that one thing that we hate on our oh, bodies. Well, we kind yeah. of always go to that thing right. and go, look at that. What am I going to do right. about that? Well, fortunately, so, mine's behind me, so I can never see it. That is a good thing. Yes. <laughs> uh, but that's that's kind of how it gets you because I knew that I was underweight, but I still hadn't solved the problem. Right. So now you're you're in Hollywood. You get this amazing job. Yeah. And do you find yourself in the midst of other people who understand what you're going through? That's one way to put it. Yes. Yeah. I'm trying um, to be, you know, diplomatic. Um. So we're well, actually, and I'm I'm not being diplomatic. I'm being okay. completely honest with this. I would be naive to say that it didn't affect me because. Obviously, I knew that there were girls on Ally McBeal that were also dieting. Mm -hmm. What I didn't really understand at the time was that they were underweight because I just thought in order to be professional, I had to lose that 10 pounds that the camera supposedly puts adds. on. Right. So I thought that I didn't know how to be a celebrity, I didn't know what to do. I right. thought. If I want to keep my job, I have to look a certain way. Mm -hmm. So I looked to them, and I just figured if they had a nutritionist, I'd get one. If they worked out during lunch, I'd do the same thing. Right. So it was more, you know, <laughs> it was more a crash course in becoming a celebrity mm. than um, than wanting to. Oh, we never talked about it. We th none of us. Nobody ever, ever said. No. Nobody ever talked about anything other than the fact that every, everyone, including the men, mm -hmm. were dieting, was dieting on that show. And that's it. Of course, I, I read the tabloids. Right. But you've also got to remember, it was a very weird time, too. Right. It was 1998, 99, and actresses were supposed to fill the shoes of the supermodels. That right. whole era, era had just ended. Yeah. Actresses were on the covers of magazines. And actresses were getting beauty campaigns. And so as, you know, you, you kind of think that 
your job is to act, play characters. Right. But really it became who can fit into a sample size dress. It really did at that right. time. And right. I, I think it really did shift um, at, at that point too because mm -hmm. of uh, the tabloid media. It was right. an explosion. Right. So it was all eyes on us. We were expected to be supermodel beautiful. Right. And we weren't. Um, and it was a lot of pressure. Right. Now, on top of this, this thing that you are now doing to your body, you're trying to figure out your sexuality. Mm. And yeah, the, that was a bummer. The, <laughs> the complications, you have this wonderful brother who lives I with do. you. I do, where are you? You're here somewhere. Brother, do this. He won't. Oh, there you are, in the back, are he's, you kidding he's me? He's jumping up and down. Hi, baby. Hi, Michael. Um, if, when you read the book, you will see that he was uh, truly incredible. But what was your question? Well, <laughs> the, the complicated relationship, because one, the description of your, of your husband leaving, and you just kind of going, oh, okay, bye. <laughs> Actually, it was more like, oh, see ya. Yeah. It was, uh, it was that feeling of desperation, because I thought, oh, now I have to be honest. Now right. I have to actually get out from behind being married to a right. man and face the fact that I am gay. Right. And I didn't want to do that. Not right. at the beginning of my career. And not when it was very clear after Ellen came out that it wasn't okay to be gay and on right. TV right. because you're going to lose your TV show. Right. So that was, that was a rough time. It was, uh, I was just in terror constantly. Right. And you had gotten married really because you wanted that idea of a white picket fence and a, a, what you thought was a normal relationship. Yeah, because, I mean, I, I didn't really know that I was gay until I was 18. Mm -hmm. I mean, I knew that I had all kinds of feelings for my best friends that went beyond friendship. Right. But I really didn't think that I could live an open lesbian lifestyle. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, I just mm -hmm. didn't think that I could be gay. Um, and so by the time I was 18, I realized that if I was ever going to be happy, I had to actually date a lesbian. Right. Um, and that's when, that's when uh, I actually went to law school that year and I met somebody. I had a very short relationship, but I felt comfortable. I felt happy. And then I got a movie. Sirens, and so I just right. kind of closed the door on that. Right. Focused on my career, and so I assumed that I was gay. I didn't really want to do anything about it, and then I, I felt very attracted to this guy that I met on a set, and I thought, done. I'm not <laughs> gay anymore. He's the one. I'm gonna make it work. Right. And you know, I think that's how I know that I'm actually gay is because he was a great guy. Right. And we had a great relationship. It was very loving, he was very supportive, and yet I still felt very empty, and right. I still felt that something was, was definitely missing. Right. One of, my, one of my favorite visuals in the book is you describing, I think it was your sister-in-law, wearing sort of lingerie under her overalls. Yeah. And, <laughs> but your sister-in-law and your husband became friends, and then eventually took off together. <laughs> yes. Yes, okay. Yes, my husband ran off with my brother's wife. Right. Yes. 
I know. <laughs> I mean, it's like a Jerry Springer show. It really is crazy. No, this is much better. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, the lingerie under the... I, la yeah. I don't know why it made me laugh, but it did. Yeah, you know, she was kind of punk rock a little, and I just never thought anything of it. And then after a while, I was like, oh, you know. I mean, I think my brother and I both were kind of blindsided by right. the fact that they got together well, after yeah. my husband left me. Um, because we were very close. The right. four of us would do everything together. Well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hello. Yeah. Um, did yeah. your mom know you were gay? Yeah. Well, she knew I was uh, questioning at around uh, 16. Right. Yeah. She actually found the joy of lesbian sex under my bed. <laughs> That's one way to come out to your mother. Well, yeah. I don't recommend it. I don't. I, I actually kind of had to come out to her three times before it <laughs> sunk in. How come? Uh, she didn't believe me. Um, I think it's fair to say the first time uh, was, I think she thought it was a phase. Right. Um, which is okay, I guess. Right. I was 16. The second time, um, it was after my marriage to, to Mel. Right. So that was also kind of confusing because right. then I had to go and convince her that I was actually gay even though I had right. been gotten, married to a right. man. Right. And, uh, and, and the, the third time was um, kind of entering into my first serious relationship right. with, uh, with a woman. So yeah. now, let's go back to your working on the TV show. Did she see your body shifting and say, babe, something's off with you, I see it? Yeah, she did, but she lives in Australia, and, you know, what we see in photographs and on TV mm -hmm. is uh, ugh, not reality right. at all. So uh, she checked in with me. Right. I assured her that I was perfectly fine. Right. Because you got to understand, people with eating disorders lie like you wouldn't believe. Right. I mean, I, I didn't know I was capable of lying that much mm -hmm. just to protect my eating disorder. And also I was very ashamed, too. There's mm -hmm. a great deal of shame that, that goes along with it. So um, it was really uh, not until I came home for Christmas that year excited to show off my brand new fabulous body that I've been working so hard to get right. that she uh, just completely freaked out. How much did you weigh, do you think, when you went home? In Australia, uh, between 85 and 90 pounds. I was skinny. No kidding. Yeah. But, but not to other people, not to the people you were around. Everyone was skinny, so it was well, sort of safe in a way. It's, I think it's a, it's a funny thing. When you're surrounded by people doing similar behavior, mm -hmm. it uh, becomes normal. It's right. not abnormal anymore. Uh, so when I looked at the people around me, and it mm -hmm. wasn't just on David Kelly's shows. Mm -hmm. It was... Everywhere. It was a real explosion back mm -hmm. then of, of, of this... this desire to be severely underweight, right. just extremely thin. Um, I just thought that I was being professional, doing right. the right thing. You describe at one point uh, trying to decide whether you're going to do the laxatives or stick your finger down your throat. Did it, <laughs> did at some point... <laughs> Why do you make everything funny? <laughs> really? Because, uh, you know, 
whenever we go overboard with stuff, whether it's drugs or alcohol or what, we do the weirdest stuff, um, and and it becomes a normal conversation. No, I know. You know, so I know absolutely. <laughs> so it's like uh, in the first scene, actually, when I'm I'm cr I'm crying, and then I go, oh, I wonder how many calories I'm burning yeah. by sobbing. And then I thought, if I actually spoke out loud what I was thinking, that right. would have to burn even more. So, I uh, know, it's uh, <laughs> a load of craziness. And how many times a day were you working out? Because you were working out in your trailer as well, yeah? Yeah, I would uh, uh, run for an hour in the morning right. um, and then do leg lifts. I would get out of the car on the way to the set right. to run up and down the road because sitting in a car for, for that long made me really anxious. Right. And, uh, I would have like I would have extreme anxiety until I would get out and run up and down the block and get back. Right. Um, I would go to work. I would I would just do any kind of calorie burn anything to burn calories. I mean I'd be wiggling my toes right now if if I was here and right, sick. Right. Right. Um, I can assure you I'm not. Um, but anything at all. At work I would run for the entire hour on my treadmill, and then uh, I never really stopped working out. Yeah. Now, there's another uh, scene in the book where you're talking about this lust that you developed for your yogurt. And you had gone in and I, you'd portioned it out because yeah. you had like, what, three tablespoons in each little bag. Yeah. And so you had like two weeks worth there. Yeah, a week at a time. And mm -hmm. you, you had a snap and went and ate all of it. Yeah. And then really beat yourself up. Yeah. Because it wasn't the it wasn't the yogurt that I was concerned about. It was the fact that I had lost control. Mm. And if I had lost control once, it could happen again at any moment. Right. And that filled me with terror because if I I, I called it I called it being abducted. It felt right. like an abduction. I, I I had no presence of mind whatsoever. It was just this bizarre thing that I had no control over. And it, what if it wasn't yogurt? What if it was potato chips or, you know, candy or right, something right. that could really do some damage? And that's what made me more afraid than, uh, than anything. Tell me about the voice in your head, because yeah. I, I, I recognized the voice. Yeah, I think most people do. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, I had this voice in my head. I called him the drill sergeant because he just never let me rest. He never let me say that's enough or you've done a good job or you've right. done enough today. He would always just reprimand me for being lazy, for being fat, for being ugly, for, for not being worthy, for not deserving what I had. And when he stopped, it made you feel worse. Yeah. Because... I mean, it made me feel worse because, because I felt hopeless. I felt like I, I really got to a point where I, instead of hearing it and fighting him, I accepted it. Mm. And I thought, I am fat. I right. am ugly. I don't deserve it. What was the turning point I, I, for you? Was it the fainting on the set? You weighed, what, 70 pounds, 80 pounds? No. Oh, 82. <laughs> 82. Wow, sorry. Um, oh, yeah. And actually, by the, at the time, I, I, I did this movie called uh, Cletus Tout, which was a great little movie. Didn't do very well. Um, 
I got but, a lot of those. <laughs> It's crazy yes. that the ones that you think are going to work yeah. just don't He's work. Like, oh, and then nobody goes to see it. Yeah, I know. And this was do? that movie for me. It was, right. you know, Richard Dreyfus and Tim Allen, and it was a big cast, and I was the leading lady. And uh, I'd actually gained a little weight for that movie because um, my veins protruded so badly that I had to ice them down in between takes. Uh, so I knew that I, I had to gained some weight, and I knew right. that I looked bad, but also my face was incredibly bloated, and my stomach was kind of distended as well. Like, I, I just I just looked really sick. I uh, collapsed on the set of that movie. I just kind of blacked out very right. gently in the makeup chair at the end of the day, and um, just gently. <laughs> uh, didn't create a scene, um, but I was in agony. I mean, I was just in agony. My joints, all of my joints just were just killing me. And when I blacked out, I kind of gave over all the control because mm -hmm. the medic was there, people were attending to right. me, and then I had to follow through. I got the blood tests, I, and then I found out that I was extremely sick. Explain what that means by extremely sick. I was diagnosed with lupus. I was diagnosed as being osteoporotic at age 25. Uh, I was one tiny step below uh, cirrhosis of the liver. My organs were really looking like they, any uh, one of them could fail at any time. I mean, my electrolyte balance, my like everything was right. was truly terrible. I mean, I hadn't had my period for you know years, um, and I was I was extremely sick, and I was in so much pain right. that I just felt like I couldn't continue. I right. Just, I couldn't. Tell me about your brother. What did he say? Um, well, my brother and I were really close when I first started Ally McBeal. Mm -hmm. And we actually lived together when our spouses ran off with each other. Um, Sounds like such a crazy story. It like, is, is this really my life? It is the best. Oh, it's crazy. Um, and so we uh, we just kind of became best friends at that point. And then I got an apartment. He went his own way, and I just isolated myself completely from him mm -hmm. because I knew that he would see something, and I couldn't. I, I just couldn't really uh, explain it away. Right. From him, and so when we we got to Australia, I asked him to drive me to the gym where he stayed in the gym and watched. Yeah. How long do you think you did in the gym that day? I don't know how long, brother. A long time. Yeah, yeah. I was there for a long time, and and I had at that point I'd just kind of given up hiding it. Yeah. So I got down to my little gym shorts and my tank, and he couldn't believe what he saw. Yeah. And he broke down, and he told me I was going to die. Did that yeah. click something in your head? It, it just, I was so confused. I, I thought that I was being healthy. I thought I was doing the right thing. Right. I mean, I, I was obsessed with not failing a diet. That's all I cared about. I mean, I had lived my life failing diet after diet after diet. And I just felt like I had no self-control, no willpower. And I was just sick of it. I was so sick of it that this was the one diet that I wasn't going to screw up. 
So when he said to me, you're going to die, I just thought, but I'm just on a diet. Like I'm just doing what all women are expected to do, mm -hmm. <laughs> pretty much. Mm -hmm. We're all expected to be kind of underweight right. and, you know, look like those really young models that have barely even grown up enough to develop curves. Right. You know, and I just thought I was doing the right thing. So when I heard that, it kind of punctured something. Mm -hmm. um, and I didn't gain weight immediately, but it, it confused me. Right. So what was the moment that you said, you know what, I, I have to change this because I am going to die? Um, I think it was definitely hearing the results from the doctor, but uh, it was also my body. I mean, I just, it was falling apart. Like, mm -hmm. I just felt so bad all the time. I didn't have energy to work out anymore. Right. And I think that that's when I knew that I had to get my shit together. <laughs> had you heard of Karen Carpenter? Yeah. In fact, I, uh, I was obsessed with Sonic Youth growing mm -hmm. up, mm -hmm. and, um, there's a song called Song for Karen on a CD called Goo, that, and that, that was my soundtrack. Yeah. It was my soundtrack. Um, and I didn't really realize it at the time, but I kind of secretly admired anorexia. I think mm. people who had anorexia, because I thought to have that much self-control, mm. to kind of deny your basic instinct mm -hmm. to eat and to have the willpower. And I think that I kind of thought that I could never have it because right. people like Princess Diana had it. Mm -hmm. Like, not someone like me, you know, mm -hmm. not. So I, I just didn't think that I was even capable of it, which is the strangest, sickest, most twisted thing to think. But I don't know. I mean, everybody admires people that diet successfully. And that was just the most extreme version of it. Right. But I didn't really see it for what it is. Right. So now this book is brutal. I mean, it's brutally honest. Yeah. Why now? Because I'm in a really amazing place in my life. And I think ever since Ellen and I got together, I've become more honest mm -hmm. and more open and uh, less afraid, less guarded. And there was always this chunk in my life that I felt very ashamed of. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to talk about, right. and so the only thing to do is to go back in it and really look at it. Right. And also because I want to show people that you can be fully recovered mm -hmm. from an eating disorder, mm -hmm. not just kind of deal with it for the rest of your life, right. not just um, still worry about food. You can, right. It can be a thing of your past. You never think about diet or weight or exercise ever, ever again. Right. And so I think to show um, how far I've come, it's, I, I wanted people to trust me when I, when I told them that you, you don't have to diet right. to be at a really healthy, beautiful weight. And you can get through this. You right. don't have to live your life as a chronic dieter. And if you are suffering from an, from an illness as terrible as this, and you think that there's no way out, there really is, there really is. And, and you can, you can be on the other side of it and never ever wake up and think, what the hell did I eat last night? Right. Yeah, that, I have to tell you, that those pages totally knocked me for a loop because I, I, I thought to myself, you know, I can't breathe. 
and I yeah. and if I couldn't breathe, and and I'm just reading it on the page, I I was torn really for what you must have been feeling at the yeah. time to sort of be that alone with that voice yeah. just was was amazing. But you are in a great place now. How's life? It's good. Good, good, good. How's Elle? She's good. Good, she okay. Says hi. Oh, tell her I said hey, too. <laughs> you know, I wanted to get that part out of the way because I knew I'd have to ask, but did you show this to Ellen first? I did. I actually read uh, passages from the book to mm -hmm. her as I was writing them. I was uh, almost kind of gauging whether she would uh, support me wholeheartedly because mm -hmm. there's a lot in there that she could have easily said, eh, baby, I don't know if you need to tell people that. Right, right, right. <laughs> but she didn't. She said, tell them that and tell them more. And I was really worried that she would see a sick, frail, crazy person, mm -hmm. but she saw somebody who was so completely strong and and uh, the, to get from that place to this. Right. So, I mean, the darker it got and the, the more revealing and personal it was, the more she encouraged me to write it because, you know, it just, it, it, it helps. Yeah. It, it just, it helps. And, yeah. and I just feel like if I can do, I can't get 15 years back of my life that I spent standing on a scale and freaking out. Mm -hmm. um, but I can maybe make it a little bit, uh, I can maybe help people understand what it's like. Yeah. And if you are suffering or just if you're a chronic dieter and you read it, at least you'll not feel so alone. Right. And, but also, you know, this whole thing, I thought I was writing a book about eating disorders and I really wrote a book about self-acceptance and just being okay with who you are mm -hmm. and just being comfortable in your own skin. I mean, it just took me a lifetime to just feel comfortable yeah. moving around in my own body. Yeah. You know? Well, now you have another lifetime to really get to like that to body. To enjoy it, That's right. right. That's right. right. So I, I, the one question I should have asked you before I asked you the last one is, is had Ellen known about this? Had you ever talked to her about what you had gone through? I briefly told her. Mm -hmm. uh, I didn't go into it because, mm -hmm. you know, you don't really want to lead with something like that. <laughs> um, hey, you wouldn't believe, you know, what I did. <laughs> I shoved my fingers down. No, I. Um, but, and it was it was hard. You know, it's very graphic. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, I talk about all kinds of very gross graphic things in there. Mm -hmm. And um, she didn't know. And she didn't really understand it because she's never really been a chronic dieter. She's mm -hmm. never really had those kinds of feelings. Mm -hmm. She's, mm -hmm. I mean, she's had her own struggles, but mm -hmm. she's always kind of felt okay about herself, right. and, um, which is amazing to be married to somebody who just, you know, completely accepts themselves right. for who they are and what they look like. It's great. I like it. Yeah, I it's like good. it. So, y'all have any questions? Okay, there are people with mics or something, yes? Oh, hi, good evening. Hi. Yeah, uh, what about bulimia? Did you suffer about 
that disorder? Yeah, um, I, I started uh, purging when I was about 12, 13. And I, I mean, it's always been with me um, from 12 until about 30 until uh, it was always kind of the last resort for me. I would try to diet, um, but what happened, what happened with me was I was a model when I was 12. I went on a diet. I would starve myself, do the job, and then reward myself with food, and then I would get the weight off. As the jobs got booked closer together, I would use laxatives and diuretics to try to get it off. When that didn't work, I was forced to, to purge. So, um, yeah, I, my entire teenage life, I, I was bulimic. Um, and then the only time I wasn't bulimic was when I was anorexic. And, uh, and then even recovering from the disorder, I, I went back into bulimia because I, I couldn't control the amount of food I was eating. I went from 82 pounds to 168 pounds in about five months. So you can imagine how that feels. It just, from the ultimate right. control right. to just being so out of control. Um, and that's when the bulimia kicked in again because no matter what I did, it seemed like I couldn't diet anymore. And uh, 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 that was awful. That was really bad. What what was that? What is the thing that that keeps you knowing now that that's not something you're going to go do again? I won't diet. Period. Ever again. I will never ever go on a diet, and I will never weigh myself. But it's also it's more than just that. It's mm -hmm. just I've gotten to a point where I've kind of gone down all the roads. Right. You know? Right. <laughs> like I've gone all the way down, and I hope that. You can read this and go, oh, I'm not going to take her road. Yeah. Because it doesn't really go anywhere. Um, and I, I don't know. I just kind of figured that I, I just couldn't, I couldn't do that to my body anymore. Yeah. Because I don't know how, but all of those uh, the problems that uh, I was diagnosed with mm. um, all just went away when I started eating. Right. Um, it was a misdiagnosis, the lupus. And right. So I, I just can't do that to my body anymore. Yeah. You think if we change the phrase purging to really what it is, because it's, it's, anytime I hear somebody say the word throw up, yeah. I just, it's just, I, I hate it. But yeah. we've made it a, so much a nicer word by saying yeah. we purge. Would it be better if we just said, I stick my finger down my throat and to throw up so that it. But who's going who's gonna to admit that, really? I mean. Well, I guess you're right. I mean, it's very hard. <laughs> it's very hard to talk about. Eating right. disorders are so private yes. um, that I don't think many people really admit to that. It's not the, even the throwing up; it's the mm -hmm. loss of self-control that goes on in the binging mm -hmm. part of it. Um, and it just feels like such a punishment. It's just not something that. I tell you what else is happening too with eating disorders. It's not good. Uh, People now are kind of diagnosing them and saying that it's a it's a problem in your brain, mm -hmm. like it's it's uniquely yours, right? And they're, you're kind of hardwired or whatever to have an eating disorder. And I think that's such crap yeah. because, you know, when you look around, you can't tell me that every person in this country, mm -hmm. even, mm -hmm. and I think it's something like 
15 million people that right. are registered for having su or suffering right. at the moment with an eating disorder. You can't tell me that 15 million people are, are, have some kind of problem in, in their brain. It's, uh, it just kind of like allows them to pass the buck and not yeah. really look at what's going on. I mean, culture has such a huge role to play oh, yeah. in this. And, you know, it really is so important to, to see it for what it is and to really address that because, you know, I mean, we shouldn't be reading Vogue magazine as 35-year-old women and looking at teenagers and wishing we had a teenage body. It's just something is completely wrong. Well, that. it's, you know, it's, it's, it's everywhere. You know, it's either they're saying, you know, we are eating too much and we're too yeah. big and we're too fat I mean, and we're messing up the kids. And right. I, or... <laughs> Right. You know, you're right. It is you're supposed or. to look like this. And it, you know, people just, because physically we're so different, we're just going to be, right. some of what us are going to have be. bigger butts. Exactly. And, you know, there's a great book called Intuitive Eating. Mm -hmm. um, and in it, she says, you know, you don't try to fit a size eight foot into a size six shoe. No. And that's just the way it is. You have to be able to get to a point where you just accept your bone structure, how your body naturally wants to be. And if you can accept that, you will always remain at that weight and right. you will never, ever have to live your life on a diet. Yeah. You can eat whatever you want. Well, I try diets periodically and I, I just don't, you know, my interest wanes because right. there are things I want you know to why? eat. Because it, they don't work. Yes. 95% <laughs> of diets don't work of people on a diet. Are we supposed as human beings to be on diets? Obviously we're not. And Clearly. yet, I mean, all the statistics say this doesn't work. Right. And yet we think it's our fault when it doesn't work. I right. don't know why. It's like we don't look at dieting and go, oh, maybe you're to blame. Yeah. We think we don't have willpower. And let, yet we have willpower to study, do exams, right. work, make deadlines, do whatever else in life. But the one thing, yes. the one thing that us women can't quite wrap our arms around is, is dieting. It just doesn't make any sense. Well, what I just, I, you just made a really interesting visual. You know, I, everything in my head is visual. So you're saying, well, you wouldn't try to put a size uh, eight, eight foot, foot yeah. in a size six, six shoe because it hurts. Right, yeah. It hurts. So I'm not sure why <laughs> we can't wrap ourselves around that, that that's exactly what we're doing. Yeah, we you are. Know? Because, you know, even at that emaciated weight, mm -hmm. I still had the same bone structure. I was still looking at hips that were wider than right. my shoulders. I wasn't going to change my body shape. Right. It's the way I am. It's how, how I'm put together. And the quicker than you, you can accept just the right. way you are, the happier you're going to be. Dieting, all it really does is assure that you're going to be miserable and have no self-esteem and just feel like a failure. And who wants to feel like a failure every day? Is there another question over there? Oh, my goodness, look at that. Hands everywhere. What was I thinking? Good evening, uh, Portia and Whoopi. How are hey. you? Hi. Pleasure to see you guys here. And thank you for being so brave and telling your story. I'm kind of shaking listening to it. It's kind of it's kind of hard to hear. I um, uh, I had a, of a sister who uh, suffered with uh, the same illness, and I believe I had some you know some issues about my own body at certain times in my life. I'm a vegan chef, mm. and I wanted to know. And I, by the way, uh, Whoopi, 
I can make you eat your greens. No, you can't. I can't. I no, can't. You should get um, his number, actually. Double nickels. <laughs> when I number. hit double nickels, I know I didn't have to eat my greens. Oh, I don't know about... Okay, well... Oh. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Got you. Um, so, but anyway, I wanted to know how uh, veganism affected your life. And then on maybe the slightly cynical side, was it... Uh, yes, I know. Yes. Um, i tell you something. I recovered fully, 100% before deciding to not eat animals. And my decision to be vegan was purely ethical. Uh, I'd always called myself an animal lover, but I kind of realized that I was saying I love dogs, cats, and horses because mm. I'll eat everything else. Right. Um, and it just didn't feel good for me anymore. And I mean, I've only been vegan for about two years, and I, uh, I've been well and truly recovered now for eight years um but i'll tell you something about being vegan it's very very hard for me because i don't want people to misinterpret it i don't want people to go oh but she's she has crazy disordered eating now because she's vegan um i i eat everything i want i just don't want to hurt animals so I don't want to eat animals, but I will eat potato chips. I will eat every vegan candy that is made, and they're all good. You really don't miss out on anything, um, and you feel, I just feel better. Feel better. Yeah. But, you know, it didn't do a huge thing for weight loss for mm -hmm. me or anything like that. I, I am probably around 130 pounds, and that's the way I've always been. It's probably the way right. I, I will be. Um, but it is a really, I don't know, I just feel better. I just feel a little bit more spiritual about it actually i just feel i don't know a little kinder yeah i'm I still like a barbarian <laughs> i am give me, a, give me a chicken leg i'm a happy girl honestly <laughs> you should get his number good for you for being a vegan chef by the way there's another where who oh so, okay hi thank you for coming i i have a niece now struggling with this issue and this may be too personal a question but i'm wondering beside Aside from the societal pressure and what we know they're doing to young girls and people who want to be in the industry and models and actresses and all that, is there something else you think that was like a, a personal issue around your puberty years that that seems to be such a vulnerable age and, yeah. and people sometimes feel like they have to please everybody or try to be perfect or... Yeah, yeah. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, there was too much emphasis placed on what I looked like. And I think the best thing you can do for really young girls is to not say, oh, look how cute you are. Look at your cute little pigtails and your cute little dress. It's, we really have to not do that mm -hmm. to little kids, to mm -hmm. little girls. Mm -hmm. We have to say, look how smart you are. And it's really hard. I have an 18-month-old niece, and I find myself saying, look how cute that dress is, and mm -hmm. look how cute. I mean, it's, it's really... It's a, that's something that you can do. Um, and I know that my sexuality, uh, struggling with that, definitely had an effect. But I think that is really just not being able to accept yourself. Um, but yeah, the, I just felt like what I looked like was more important than what I did. And I forgot that I was hired as an actress because I could act. I thought I was just supposed to look pretty, uh, which is so stupid. Um, 
But I just think placing emphasis on just the external, just mm -hmm. how you look, is, mm -hmm. uh, is just a recipe for insecurity. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, it's never going to get any better, let's face it. We well, all just now. get older and older. I mean, it's just you. Well, let's talk about that because it's interesting that you bring that up because people are getting older. It does happen. It continues to happen. But we seem to try to outrun it. People uh, that's put, ridiculous. you know, the Botox I, and I the I gotta say, it's stuff the really, it makes and, me so angry. Now we can't age. It's like we have to look like teenagers, and now we can't age on yeah. top of it. It's ridiculous. And here's the thing that you gotta realize: only 20 years ago, we were looking at Cindy Crawford and Naomi Campbell as the image of the the ideal woman. Yes. Now we're looking at nameless, kind of stick-thin, 15-year-olds. Yeah girls from the Ukraine. Yeah. Like it's just, now it's just shifted. Yeah. Um, and it's not because they're more beautiful, it's because of other re reasons. Yeah. And probably because they're less expensive to hire. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of factors that go into this. Yeah. And they're, you know, it's also a very male dominated industry, the, the, the clothing industry. Yeah. And, you know, clothes hang better on girls that don't have breasts, they, you know, they just look better. So that's, that and um you know and that's the the aging yeah I, I i can't stand that because we also used to look at women like diane von furstenberg mm -hmm. and like really glamorous older women yeah and want to be like them yes. on a yacht with yes. diamonds you know at yes. 40 or 50 and go she's so fabulous yes. i hope i grow up to be her and so it changes it does change even though we think that there's yes. this youth culture and it, it it actually keeps changing. It'll change again. I hope so, because it scares me when, you know, you, <laughs> and I'm sure you get, you find this too, you walk up to somebody and you think, I, God, I, I feel like I know them. <laughs> yes. And then you get up real close and you go, oh my God, yeah. oh my God, I do know them. And oh, what have they done to their face? Yeah. Yeah. Because you, it's all smooth here. And then you see the neck and it's, it's like a ringwood tree. You know what I mean? Because you see, you can count it on the hands. Yes, the hands. So Usually it's and and, and so folks done. get botoxed know, and and put stuff in their system and I know. and they also resort to trying to take their bodies out. I yeah. mean, that's to yeah. me what it it sort of comes yeah. down to. And you know, I just I pray I just pray that I have the self confidence that I don't ever resort to plastic surgery. I will that's call really you. that's really all it is. No, I'm going to call you. Yeah. If there is yeah. something call out me. of place really? on your... I think your... Ellen will be calling yeah. me yeah. before you. Yeah. Somehow. Well, she'll see uh, it first. Yeah, she's, uh, she, uh, yeah. she's not going to fly. Yeah, no. no. It's not necessary. It's not necessary. It's just, oh, I don't know why we're all trying to look like everyone else. Like, the thing that makes you beautiful is the thing that makes you your unique. Your individuality, you know, the, the, yes. You know, your shape, your... The hair, the way it grows out of your head, yeah, yeah, everything is yeah. is uh, how you're supposed to be. Yeah, one of a, we're each supposed to be one of a kind. Yes. Commercial, the hair commercial, and you would say because I'm worth it, but you didn't feel worth it. When did you start to feel worth it? When was your turning point? I think today. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> Relatively today, um, you know. I mean, I, uh, I, my turning point probably when I came out. Honestly, 
I think before that, uh, yeah, when I came out, and also doing Arrested Development because I realized that I, <laughs> I was. I love that show. Sorry. Wasn't it great? I and loved I, it. I realized oh, that actually what I did was more important than how I looked, mm. and uh, it was just little things uh, that made me gradually become more accepting of, of who I am. Uh, yeah, look, I still struggle from time to time with those kinds of issues. I think we all do, right? Yeah. Um, it's just weird, you know? It's weird when you're sitting in front of a whole lot of people and you think, God, I hope what I'm saying is important enough to bring all these people together tonight, you know? I mean, there's still... Yeah. Don't make me cry. I've cried on every talk show so far. Don't make me cry. Um, but you know, I mean, I mean, but I'm in a much better place, and uh, it's just getting older is good, you know, too. <laughs> it is. Yes, it is, I have to say. See, yeah. I, the, the issues that you we're dealing with, in a funny way, in our industry. I say our because now I'm sort of tippy-toeing into oh, movies again. Yeah. But it's, you know, for years it was like, well, you know, I'm not gonna look like that. <laughs> People would say, well, can we do something with your face? To you? Yeah, oh yeah. That surprises me. Listen. I feel like you're one of those very few actresses that are so uniquely you and so embraced. Well, just that's what I are. thought. All right? That's what I thought. <laughs> But once I had a manager, they want, they want the whoopee. But ten years ago, yeah, you want. know, and and you know, I had a manager once who gave me for Christmas, or actually it was for Hanukkah, um, gave me any facial surgery I wanted. That was his Christmas present. I kind of, I didn't know what to do. Fire him. No, because no. he was giving me a lot of work. Right, I get it. <laughs> you know, but yeah. it was just. It was, I think, the first time for me that I understood that P.S., you know that thing, P.S., I love you, but now change? Yeah. That was, in the 80s, at least for me, that was what I started to recognize. And this idea of who was on the magazine covers and who the movie stars were and what they were supposed to look like, you know, it was, it was, it is a constant struggle because you think, Okay, I know I'm never going to look like that, but can I get close to it? And then a little bell goes off in my head and says, yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, of course you can. Go get the bag of potato chips, shut up. And that's what I do, and I, I feel pretty good. Yeah. You know? Um, yeah. <laughs> it, but it's so... Uh, why you didn't fall into that trap is... Um, uh, I don't know. Everybody else does. Everybody does. Yeah. I say that to Ellen, too. I it's didn't know like, I could. It never occurred to me that, that right. I could do it any other way but this. Well, you know? the other thing, too, is that because you're incredibly funny and smart um, and people have responded to your talent, mm -hmm. I think, mm -hmm. you know, what you look like is probably very secondary when you think about your career. Yes. But yes. see, you know, <laughs> the problem is, is that the big money, mm -hmm. the big money comes with the pretty face and the, and yes. the skinny body and the, the leading ladies. I yeah. mean, you know, Julia Roberts is making a hell of a lot more money than Gabby Day, Gabby Day, yeah. will make. It's just, that's yeah. just the way it is, yeah. you know, um, and 
that's the problem. It's kind of like the big the the big money jobs right. for actors are are the the leading the leading man, leading lady. And maybe almost. that's why we all feel in our respective places, whether we're working at the Apple store or working at some store in there that we have to maybe look a certain way or over at the view or on some soap that no one can actually be comfortable enough these days to just say, I'm me, I feel pretty damn good. But I have to tell you, darling, this is a remarkable start. And I'm telling y'all, pick this book up. Get this book, get it on E, you know, the iTunes book thing. <laughs> You know, because I love my iTunes, so I, you know, I try to do everything. Or, you know, go and pick it up, physically get it, but get it. Because it's not, as it turns out, just Portia's story. It's all of our stories, because we're all in here. And one way or another, this is all of us. And she's really the only one at the moment that's got the cojones to come out and say, this is what it is. I just, I... I tell you, I couldn't wait to come because I, I just, it knocked me out. The book knocked me out. And I gave it to my kid. Oh, thanks. Yeah, and she'll thanks. give it to her daughters and stuff. Um, more questions? I'm sorry. We have time for two more, and I have okay. one right here for you. Oh, yeah, yeah. Hi, Portia. Hi. Thank you for taking, uh, seeing us all here tonight. Portia, you mentioned earlier that you felt pressure in your professional career with regards to your sexuality and the openness. How does that contrast to the pressure you felt in your high school years and how did you deal with that pressure back in the Geelong days? You're not from Geelong, are you? I'm from St. Leonard's. Wow. 15 wow. minutes out. Wow. Um, well, I, 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 really, I, I really didn't know that I was gay as a teenager. I mean, I, I knew that there was something up with me, but I, I just, I didn't really struggle with my sexuality until I was maybe in college. Um, and, and when I decided that I was gay, I, I came out to my friends. They didn't really care. And I dated somebody briefly, and then I started acting. So, um, you know, that's actually the other reason I wanted to write this, or is just to show uh, kids that, you know, I, I really did struggle. It's not like I just kind of jumped onto a red carpet and when I'm gay, you know, it's, I'm perfectly fine with it. I wanted to show people that it is, it is a very difficult thing to accept within yourself and it's difficult to come out. It's, it's difficult to do all of that, but I, I just hope that you know, I mean, I, I just urge everybody, no matter what the, what you think will happen to you negatively when you come out. I mean, uh, it's, mm -hmm. it's just everything is actually wonderful. I mean, I'm on the cover of People magazine this week, right? Which is so ironic. Oh no, uh, <laughs> really? I mean, I'm just, I'm just saying that because it is so ironic to me that the, the things that I thought were gonna completely ruin my career are the things that have actually elevated me and, and given me purpose, you know? And I, I had a great job. Uh, I worked on a show called Better Off Ted, which I loved. It was yes, so fun. Yes, great. Um, and I'll get another great job after this. And, you know, I play heterosexual characters. And, uh, and it just hasn't affected me. Um, 
I just refuse to not let it affect me, actually. I, I, I want to get those roles, and I, I, I want to play, you know, heterosexual women because the majority of the world are heterosexual. So, um, well, you know, so they say. So they say. <laughs> yeah. You know. Yeah. I want you to play a black woman. Because I, I can know do you that. can. I know you can. One more question. Where yeah, is it? Yeah, one last question in the back. Okay. Hi, ladies. What a treat to have you here tonight. Um, Portia, why tell your story by way of book versus Oprah 2020? Oh, why where, book? Where are you? Can you stand? Just stand up, up there. Darling. I'm sorry. Hi. Because I didn't really know my story until I sat down to write it, and uh, I really, really didn't. I sat down in my little black MacBook, <laughs> and. Uh, and I, 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 I didn't have the answers right there. I had to actually really figure out what happened to me, right. which is part of the reason why I wrote it. I really wanted to examine what went so wrong for me and then how I got out of it again. And I mean, there was no question that I had to write this book without any help from anybody because I couldn't have told them what to write because I really, truly had to sit and think day after day, month after month, and really figure it out. And the, I would write a sentence and go, oh my god, that's, that's what it was. That was a part of the puzzle. Um, and I really, you know, that, that, was, that was the journey, was this book. And, you know, and now I can talk about it, but it's much harder to talk about than it was to write, because I could, I could cry and <laughs> you know, in the privacy of, of my room and, and write it. And now it just seems so very public, but. But it's okay. Oh, well. It's okay it's because a lot of girls, a lot of men, a lot of girls, a lot of people yeah. are going to get a lot of help out of this book. They're going to get a lot of help, baby. Thank you for writing it. Thank you. Thank you all for coming. One more time, guys. Thank you very much, Portia Durasa. The book, Unbearable Lightness, A Story of Loss and Gain, available now in the iBookstore. And don't forget this conversation will be available as well for free in the Meet the Author podcast series. And of course, last but not least, apple.com forward slash Soho for all your upcoming event needs. Thank you so much for coming out tonight. Everyone get home safe and have the best week ever. <laughs>